Good evening. Oh, well, we got to wait for that. Hi, how are you? It's Eric Olson. New time, new place. It's BC Radio Live. I'm not really used to running the switchboard, so bear with me there. I will I will do my darndest and we will uh we will we will rock that out as best we can. In the meantime, I'm really excited that we're switching the emphasis of the show, the second half of the show, over to Blog Critics itself. And of course, that was the original impetus to do the show on Blog Talk Radio in the first place, to be able to talk about all the wonderful material that we publish and our great writers and uh, and to get the word out about that and chat about it. So the second half of each show from now on uh, in the 6 to 7 hour, starting at 6.30, Philip and Lisa will join me and we will talk about Blog Critics. And tonight we're going to talk with Barbara Barnett, who has had tremendous success, really quite amazing success, with her coverage of the television show House. I mean, she's become... Super great pals with Fox as a result of that, and so, wow, that's some pretty exciting stuff. In the first half hour of the show, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing, what we've been doing on the show for a year and a half now. We're going to be talking to all kinds of really interesting authors and musicians, celebrities, you know, whoever comes along. And tonight is no exception whatsoever, although uh, I, I I approach with trepidation the pronunciation of this poor gentleman's name. Uh, Doctor, are you on the line? I am. Would you please pronounce your name for me so I don't blow it? Schreeder Paterazzo. Well, I, w- I was kind of close. Um, <laughs> I, I, w- I wouldn't have run it all together quite so much. But it's one you'll never forget. See? No, I, I shan't. <laughs> I, re- I really shan't. Okay, well, it's great to have you on, and uh, thanks for saying your name. I will, uh, I will, I will endeavor to, uh, to, to mimic your, your flawless pronunciation. Uh, and uh, so let's talk about your book. It's, it's Paterazu, just kind Correct. of all no no uh, emphasis, just kind there of. There you go. I like that. That's that's the Japanese style. It's one thing I like about Japan. Um, no no uh, uh, emphasis on syllables. Doctor Paterazu was frustrated by the lack of control his patients had over their own health care and opted to leave the operating room for the boardroom to create a more efficient way to get better health care for every person. And he has now written a book about that endeavor. And uh, man, I'm. I refuse to be intimidated by a man with an MD and an MBA, but uh, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how that goes. And uh, so, well, let's talk about the name of the book. Get Off the Dime, The Secret of Changing Who Pays for Your Health Care. Well, I guess I, I more or less uh, set it up for you, but uh, I'm sure everyone would rather hear in your own words kind of the path that led to the book. And then obviously we want to get into what your, uh, no pun intended, prescription is. Sure. Um, well, thanks for having me on, Eric. And um, what led me to write the book was uh, I had the opportunity to practice medicine at Hopkins for uh, many years as an ophthalmologist, as a, an eye surgeon. And uh, as you well know, and all your listeners know, we've always struggled with uh, the whole notion of how to improve the cost and quality of healthcare all in one breath, which has been everybody's challenge. Simply cutting cost is easy. But how do we still maintain quality of health and health care at the same time? And that's been the challenge. But surprisingly enough, um, in my reflection several years ago, I asked myself, have we been able to do that in everything else we do um, or we buy, whether it's uh, computers, cars, clothes, uh, doesn't matter. We seem to have done a really good job in getting more educated 
to select and purchase these things uh, and improve cost and quality so that over time, you know, a new device comes out and, and the price may be high for a little while, but then competition is driven by the consumer. And sure enough, demand brings the price down. And, uh, and lo and behold, we have a good product. And in healthcare, we haven't yet accomplished that, although we're perhaps slowly getting there. And so I, I did my MBA with this in mind in terms of the models that we could follow, and, and that turned into a business that I started several years ago. But the book really encapsulates my experience um, in having been in the, bus- in, in the health side of taking care of people with illness, as well as the health care side of working with some of the largest employers in the country and their workforce and how they're going to actually pay for health. Um, and so I've seen really the full spectrum from where the dollar begins in the healthcare system and where it ends with the doctor. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, and, and I see you're also, of course, staying very topical because all this is going on right now. Uh, I guess we could take a little sidestep, uh, perhaps, or, or maybe it's not even a sidestep, but what are your thoughts on the Obama health care plan, proposed plan? Did you just yawn? <laughs> no, you know what I did? Is I, I, I'm getting something that's popping up on my computer. This no, weird... I, I said that jokingly because I hope that the Obama plan is not boring, but I think that no, no, uh, no. the President Obama's plan is certainly um, on track in terms of the need to provide more access to individuals, uh, the cost of health care, and the impact to uh, health care costs is obviously staggering. You know, after mortgage and utilities, the average consumer today is struggling to figure out how to pay for their health care. And with the unemployment rate rising to uh, unprecedented uh, numbers now, the issue of people not accessing the system is clearly of concern. Um, you know, the stress on, on information technology uh, is important. The importance of uh, population health management uh, is a critical component. So uh, the me- the messages are correct uh, in for the most part, but there's a lot of prep work that we have to do before we can determine a lot of the things that the president has proposed. Uh, and what does that mean? You know, I, I sort of summarize it in uh, in three basic eyes which is uh, infrastructure, uh, information, uh, and incentives. And uh, we've got to put the right infrastructure in place in order to get the information in the hands of the buyer, uh, being the purchaser, being uh, corporate America and, uh, and their employees. And that will help. That information with the right incentives will improve the cost and quality within the system. Uh, and, and that's how we get there. You are ecumenical indeed, where you're, where you are uh, supported by by Newt Gingrich on the one hand, and yet it sounds like you, um, you know, general have some general agreement anyway with uh, President uh, Obama's plan. That's that's quite a that's quite a gap there that you are bridging. Yeah, I, you know, my approach to this is not a partisan one, and uh, I think that we can take a lot from. Uh, the experts in the industry today, and, and certainly many leaders, to come up with a plan that can work. I would hate to see partisanship right now come in the way of success, and unfortunately, we hear a lot of that. But I'll tell you what's necessary, which we're really lacking, is those that have been within the trenches 
that have both been providing health care as well as have seen where the dollar flows to be uh, part of the decision-making process in terms of guiding this. Uh, what's unfortunate is that we have a lot of legislators and economists who are looking at this um, at a very high level. And, uh, you know, this is uh, almost as if, you know, what if Christopher Columbus had GPS? Well, then maybe he really would have gotten to India. Yeah. And um, this is sort of how we are dealing with the healthcare system. I am not exactly clear as to the analogy, but I it, it feels it feels good to me. So let's get to the the nuts and bolts of it. You you're in the book. You're laying out you know a blueprint for how we can move forward, or your suggestions for moving forward. Uh, why don't Why don't we get into some of those particulars? So the first step is infrastructure. What does that mean? It means the plumbing. There's a lot of information out there that has to be brought together, and the the president has allocated in the stimulus package about $19 billion towards health information technology. And why is that important? Although that stimulus package only addresses, for the most part, electronic medical records, there's a lot of information that's out there that needs to be brought together in order for us to be enabled to make the right decisions. And when I mean information, what do I mean? I mean, it's information that sits with insurance carriers, with the pharmacies, with the labs, with the hospitals, with the doctors. At every touch point within the healthcare system, there's data that's being captured that remains in that bucket that never gets communicated anywhere else. And that's a fundamental challenge within our system today, which if you look at our telecom industry today, and as an example, who would have thought 10 years ago that uh, there would be a single pipe coming into our house that would deliver internet, phone, the video, and, and everything within one cable? And we've made tremendous strides in the telecom industry in terms of how we communicate and how we get information. It's remarkable. Um, in healthcare, we need to make that same investment in the plumbing in order to connect all of those components within the healthcare system so that data can flow. We've got standards for how data can flow. And that infrastructure, that technology is the first building block. Without that, we're going to end up stacking Lego. Have you, do you remember what Tinker Toys are? Oh, of course. Yeah. So imagine Tinker Toys versus Lego. And nothing wrong with Lego. Believe me, I love it. But if you stack Lego randomly, what's going to happen? It's going to collapse as opposed to Tinker Toys, which fit in very nicely and connect. Our healthcare system needs to be that Tinker Toy model as opposed to stacking Lego. And that's where the infrastructure is really important. Interesting. Because you, you Oh, I'm go Because uh, once we've done that, then you can provide the right information in the hands of the buyer for them to start making decisions about, as an example, if I'm a consumer today and I'm working for uh, McDonald's or for General Motors, what kinds of plans are available to me and what kinds of choices are available in order to uh, in order for me to get benefits? Uh, what kinds of hospitals and programs are available to me to manage diabetes? Who are the doctors that I should be going to? These are the kinds of decisions today that consumers are completely lost because forget about connecting the dots. They don't even know where to find the dots. Right. To connect. Right. And that's the challenge. Now, is is any of that, the way the system's currently set up, is any of that based, uh, I mean, was there any forethought to it in terms of protecting privacy? Because I, I know some of these same issues, for example, have been faced and are still faced for that matter 
by law enforcement, but they, you know, they made some decisions to, okay, we are going to share this information now. And I know, you know, obviously 9-11 was a huge impetus to, um, you know, to, to start anyway, actively connecting the dots regarding law enforcement. Do you see any of that in this? I mean, is there, was there any uh, in, intelligence uh, as far as keeping this kind of information sort of localized? Or is it just haphazard and it's just the way it is? Privacy is important, no doubt. And we have to establish the right standards and processes in place to be able to manage healthcare data. And some of that has already happened, but there's a lot more that has to happen so that there can be a free flow of information between the insurance company, the hospital, the doctor's office, the employer, the lab. Today that doesn't happen. Um, and we have several steps to take in place uh, that where we have to not only put in place the technology but the standards for how data can be transmitted and encrypted. And so there's a whole host of things that have to happen to protect that privacy. Um, there are certain standards in place today by regulation where you uh, can't, you know, there are restrictions around how you can manage or, or share uh, personal health information, and, and those are very strict. But, heck, We've done it in the financial industry. I mean, how many people felt comfortable 10 years ago by putting your credit card information online to make purchases over the Internet? And talk about sensitive information. We weren't there today, but most people put their most sensitive information today online to make those transactions. Banking has virtually become electronic. We can get there, but remember that the hurdle we have to cross here, which is a natural you know, tendency, is – you and I probably haven't, or, and most people probably have not been used to even getting their medical record in hard copy, let alone now getting that electronically. That's going to be the challenge. It's going to take a lot more time than it is because we're all used to getting our bank statements in the mail. So if you get that electronically, that's the next natural leap. But it's very hard to go from getting nothing to all of a sudden getting something electronically. And, and we've got a couple of steps in between that we have to get people comfortable with. We will get there. It's going to take some time because remember that the generation that we're building to right now, that's the generation that's now communicating via Facebook and MySpace. That's beyond email. I mean, heck, the current uh, Pepsi generation is not communicating even by email anymore. It's, it's through text messaging. Right, and microblogging. And microblogging, and hence what we, you know, what we're doing right now. So we've got to think about how the the the, the generation ten years from now is going to be communicating their healthcare information. It's going to be very different than how it's done today. So what are the barriers? Is it is it the healthcare community? I mean, is there still a, a certain protectiveness there uh, as far as guarding that information, even from you said, as you said, even from the patients themselves. Um, let alone then, you know, sharing that, uh, you know, freely but in a protected manner, uh, uh, you know, among uh, the the various communities that deal with healthcare insurance, the patients. Yeah. The, the barriers are several. One is that we don't have the means of connecting a lot of these systems today. We've built up a lot of islands with no bridges to connect them, and uh, it's unfortunate that even the stimulus package has created a mad rush of people to go and create their own applications none of which talk to each other. Um, kind of like and, the railroads uh, before the, the agreement on, on, uh, on gauges. That's right. It's, exa it's a great example. That's exactly right. That's similar to what we've done in healthcare. 
And um, that's one barrier. The other barrier is that a lot of these systems and players today, no two insurance carriers may necessarily have the same format in terms of how they process data. That's a problem. If everybody doesn't follow the same process, you go from Aetna to Cigna to United, and it keeps changing, well, then you got to reinvent the wheel all over again. Um, there are a number of challenges like these that exist that have prevented information from being shared. And uh, another barrier is today uh, the insurance company is what controls the information in the market. But they're not really taking on the risk. So it's almost like giving somebody else an ATM card and saying, here, go spend it because that's what employers are doing today with insurance companies. They're taking the risk. Why is General Motors going bankrupt? At the core, well, you know, why did Rick Wagner get fired? I, you know, I did an interview on, on Fox about 10 days ago predicting that this was going to happen, and there are going to be many more CEOs that come down the pike that are going to get fired whose companies are not taking accountability and recognizing that insurance companies are keeping most of these folks in the dark in terms of what the costs really are. You give the, put the technology in place and move those metrics in the hands of people who are really paying for it, who are these corporations and their employees. They're the ones taking the risk, and then we're going to change the paradigm. But that's not what's happening today. The United the, Aetna Signal, the insurance companies, are the ones controlling it, and they're not taking any risk. So do you think they are, the insurance companies, are actively fighting this kind of a, a movement to much more uh, – uh, liquidity in in uh, information in healthcare information. Sure, because um, transparency is not in their benefit. It never has been. Hence, why managed care was a huge. You know, we went away from managed care, but the managed care days enabled them to not be transparent to anybody in the market. Um, as long as employers don't have control, then they don't want transparency. And why is there such concern now? for them to have a potentially a, another entity competing with them because it erodes into market share. Their assets have taken the same kind of hit that AIG and everybody's assets have taken, um, and they've had to get creative in terms of how they survive. They've had the luxury of getting payments early from the employer, delaying payments to the doctor, and making money off of the interest that they're sitting on by by controlling that float. Um, not many people are aware of this, but heck, it is the insurance business, right? Right. And, and, and how are they doing that? Well, the only thing convoluted about the insurance business here is that in the automotive industry, you and I as individuals, in automotive insurance, you and I as individuals, you and I don't pay the same for automotive insurance because we're sensitized based on our driving records, where we live, but in um, in the, yeah, health the kind of car, yeah, the kind of car and all of that. But in the health in health insurance industry, it's not. The employer is taking the risk. The insurance company is just a gatekeeper for managing the plan, quote unquote, and and they're pulling money in and sitting to generating interest on this, and the corporations are going bankrupt. And here is the problem: the decisions on on health care are being made in corporate America today by folks who know nothing about health. So you've got a lot of folks in human resource today that have no background in health that are making decisions about the kinds of plans or programs that should be put in place around diabetes and high blood pressure and, uh, and obesity. People who have had no medical education whatsoever are making decisions around billions of dollars for corporate health care. Well, that's not the, very smart, is it? 
And on the other end, unfortunately, you've got physicians that don't have any insight in terms of the economics of what's going on. I've shared my book with uh, 20 physicians as a litmus test who are all surprised about everything that I wrote about in the book, and this is about health care. <laughs> that's, that's not encouraging, I don't imagine. So here's a great example of where the dollar begins and the dollar ends, That, and I separate health and health care. Health is about how we take care of ourselves from getting sick or when we're sick, and health care is how we're going to pay for it. And at both ends of the, both ends of the system, there's a lack of education and knowledge in terms of what's happening. That's a startling revelation to everyone in terms of how we're deciding and making decisions in our system today. And it's no different in government. You look at the people making decisions today on on healthcare. They have no background in healthcare, no background in, in uh, technology, no very little background in finance. And these are the folks that are putting together how our billions of dollars are going to be spent. We're on the verge of the next financial crisis that's going to be much worse than AIG or the mortgage crisis, much worse. Due to health care issues. Because every 30 seconds, somebody's going bankrupt because they can't afford it. They're not getting the stress test or the mammograms. The unemployment rate is at the highest. General Motors went bankrupt because of its health care costs, because they couldn't manage it. They don't know how to manage it. And the $634 billion that's being allocated for health care is not the number because that's only 40 cents on every dollar that we're spending. For every dollar we spend on health care, only 40 cents is the doctor bill and the bill for paying for your drugs. The other 60 cents is because you and I can't be at work because we're sick. We haven't calculated how much the other 60 cents really is. It's much more than $634 billion. Who's going to pay for it, and where's the money going to come from? Wow. Well, I mean, relative to the trillions... You know that we're talking about that we're indebting ourselves uh, in, in the pursuit of um, stimulus, quote unquote. Um, I mean, even that number doesn't seem that outrageous. You know, it is. Although for the two trillion that we spend every year, a trillion dollars is spent on just five or six conditions um, that are all manageable. But we need to get into understanding what the total cost of people with illnesses, not the total cost of illness, and um, start stop putting the cart before the horse in terms of who's going to pay for it. We don't know what the number is yet before we determine who's going to pay for it, and that's the mistake we've made over and over and over again. Congress is in a big rush to push legislation through, and they're willing to go through any hoops right now in order to push something through because it sounds good, but it could set this country up for a lot, much bigger failure than we're prepared to absorb right now. And understanding the financial implications of that is detrimental for everybody right now, just because the statistics are so high and so many people are not accessing the system. Only imagine what's going to happen 12 months from now when the people who should have had the mammogram or the stress test start showing up in the doctor's offices. Right. It'll be much worse than where it would have been if they were in there today. Yeah, uh, boy, I, I couldn't agree with you more on the on the importance of preventive uh, medicine, preventive measures, because that way, hey, it prevents stuff <laughs> from happening. And sure, there's cost involved, but the cost is much lower to prevent it. Plus, not just uh, not just in in financial terms, but in human costs. We're not we're not talking about some 
some random field here. We're not talking about something that's abstract or, or arbitrary. We're talking about human beings and how they take care of themselves and their health and, and how they feel and how they live their lives and how long their lives uh, are, are allowed to be. And so obviously those are extremely critical issues for everyone on on Earth and, and certainly within, you know, we're talking about the United States here. Um, so who who has the power... Uh, to make the kinds of sweeping changes that you see uh, that need to be made? In other words, to encourage and or force the compatibility issues, uh, the, the railroad gauge um, analogy, and, uh, and, to, and to force the transparency that is needed in order for uh, these in, intelligent and informed decisions to be made by everyone from individual Consumers to to the people running uh, the healthcare plans at companies and, mm-hmm. and and on and on. Who who can do that? How how can we make that happen? The buyer. It's been done. Companies like McDonald's and uh, Microsoft and others have demonstrated it can be done, and they have done it. Uh, and and that's what I discuss in the book. Are uh, that this is not experimental. This is something that we've actually accomplished with some of the biggest companies in the U.S. And it works, but we have to do more. And it works because the buyer, the dollar begins in the healthcare system today with the employer and its employees. That's where the dollar is created. We have never moved the needle over to begin change and drive change from that point onwards. We've always started somewhere in the middle of the totem pole. If you start at the top, that starts to drive the change throughout the system because the employers start to hold the insurance companies accountable. That starts to hold uh, the pharmacies accountable. And that's where the accountability starts to drive competition and performance. The model works. We have to now propagate this model throughout the country, and the government needs to recognize that it has been done in private industry, and it can be done. And you can empower the consumer with the right information to make more informed decisions um, with the right incentives to take better care of themselves. And these companies have done it, and they've done it very successfully. So there's nothing experimental about this. Um, we have models to show that, uh, that it can work. So there is hope. Oh, there's absolute hope, and I'm <laughs> delighted to say that. Uh, so this is a hopeful book. It's a, <laughs> it's not Absolutely. meant to be doom, not to meant to be doom and gloom, but um, it's a reality check because it awakens us to a whole side of healthcare that uh, really has not been that open. It hasn't really provided us with the insight in terms of what really happens behind the curtain and who is Oz. I mean, what really happens behind the curtain. Right. And um, so it's been fascinating. But I would encourage anyone today that deals with the healthcare system, which all of us do in some shape or form, as a consumer or as a provider, everybody has some contact, that um, it's an education because we are all going to be forced to take on more responsibility without a doubt and it's very important for us to understand the economics and the intricacies of the system and the foundation because heck, it was an education for me. I would have never thought, you know, 25 years ago when I was going to medical school that um, this is what I would have learned now having seen it in retrospect. It's, it's fascinating because it's very different from being in the trenches and just providing care day to day, which is, you know, a very enjoyable profession. 
terms of taking care of patients, but very different when you look at it from a broader perspective. Well, sure, certainly. Hey, um, the stem, the right stem on my glasses just broke. Can you fix it? <laughs> sure, send it on over. Be happy uh, I'm just joking with you here. <laughs> hey, let's. Uh, we didn't mention your site, which I've been looking at, and is very helpful and very informative and a great place to start in terms of getting information about the book and about you and you blog yeah. on it and whatnot. That's Get Off the Dime Now. Same as the title of the book, but you got to add now, getoffthedimenow.com. The name of the book is Get Off the Dime, The Secret of Changing Who Pays for Your Health Care by Dr. Sweetheart Potarazu. How was that? Perfect. Oh, good. Probably not, but I appreciate no, you. No, you did a great job. Your kindness in, in that regard anyway. Absolutely. So, and you're in where? You're in Maryland, is it? Uh, I live in Maryland. I work in McLean, Virginia, so just outside the district. And uh, home, you know, obviously great to be in the nation's capital. What is your company? Uh, is your company working toward this end? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I actually started. So VitalSpring is a company that I run, and VitalSpring has been working with many large employers um, in working with them with our software and with our services to help them do that. So that's uh, some of where I gained my experience, but um, even otherwise, it's been how I've uh, been, where I've been spending the last 10 years uh, in the corporate sector, working with many of these large companies and enabling them to provide better health care for their employees. So it's been a lot of fun and, uh, and very exciting. Well, you're, it's obviously vastly important that you're working on the meta level. You're working on the system-wide level and, and as you said, as much satisfaction as you get or got from from performing, um, you know, individual uh, health care treatment uh, uh, of uh, individual patients, now you're now you're treating the whole system. Exactly, and uh, you know, it, it gives us a different perspective because uh, it's wonderful to see all the new things that are available for you know diabetes or managing high blood pressure or weight loss, but the reality is is if uh, if we can't pay for it or we don't have the wherewithal to cover it, it, it doesn't really matter. And so the economics of how we're going to pay for the things that matter to our health are ever so important that it's an important education for everybody in the system to recognize how we constantly think about the economics of it and uh, factor that into every decision that we make. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful perspective, and we don't really have anybody, and, and that's really my movement now. We don't have anybody focused on the business side of health, the economics of health. And, you know, my colleagues um, like uh, the brilliant uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta and Dr. Mehmet Oz and other who are dear friends of mine do a, a, a fantastic job in terms of um, uh, talking about consumer health, and there's a lot to be gleaned from there. And um, and so I'm sort of working in parallel to that in terms of now educating people on the business of health and how we pay for all of those wonderful things and, uh, and, and how we're going to account for what we're going to do over the rest of our life in terms of what we need to save and the decisions that we need to make to take care of us and our families. Exceptional. Well, that brings us right to the half hour. That certainly went quickly. I really appreciate all the information. It's really interesting stuff. Um, the name of the book is Get Off the Dime, The Secret of Changing Who Pays for Your Health Care. And the website is getoffthedimenow.com. Thank you very much, Doctor. Really appreciate it. Really interesting stuff. You present it very well in a very 
very coherent and, and understandable matter because it's obviously it's a huge enormous topic. It's hard to it's hard to get your arms around it, but I, I think you you helped us quite a bit in that regard. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure being on, and uh, have a great evening. You too. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Eric. All right. Okay. Bye bye. So, who is with us now? Do we have do we have Lisa and Philip, or do we have Barbara? I have two, I guess. Uh, you've got Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm I'm fine, and how odd to be talking to you while it's still light outside. I know. It's, um, I'm excited about this, although all of a sudden I'm looking at the clock and it's 5 o'clock. It's like, holy cow, i got to like get ready for this show, which I, you know, got to run the switchboard on and have to... Have to uh, try to figure out what's up. So I I went through everything I have. I couldn't find this book, poor guy's book. I never never found it. So you know, had to fake it. Uh, but you, ha- uh, you have you have Philip here, by the way, as well. Philip, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Busy, you know, a little bit busier than a one-legged man in a butt kicking contest. But uh, well, I can to imagine to we're, uh, you're you're in the stretch run here with the with the new site. So. Unlike yep. other weeks where talking about blog critics uh, is is was somewhat extraneous uh, to the sh- to the show itself, which seems in retrospect rather foolish, considering it is you know BC Radio Live, and that was the original purpose of the show was to talk about the site. But now we really can. So for those of you who are who are new or who just stumbled upon us or are joining us for the first time. Uh, we have moved the show from 9 to 10 Eastern on Wednesdays, and over that time period, the 9 to 10, we were basically interviewing outside people, quote-unquote, authors and musicians and celebrities and the like. And now uh, we are I'm still going to do the interviews with, with those types of people, including Dr. Podorazu, as we just con- concluded that interview, I'll be doing that from 6 to 6.30, and then from 6.30 to 7, we will be talking about blog critics. So that is a very exciting thing, and it, the timing, I think, couldn't be much better because we are in the neighborhood of, we don't want to pin it down too much because you know how these things go, but we're in the neighborhood of, of only two weeks two weeks away from, uh, I, I don't know, I don't want to characterize it, you, Philip, you will know best, but I'm assuming this is the biggest redesign we've ever done. Oh yeah, oh yeah, both both front and back. I mean, uh, everything in the back end is co- going to be completely rewritten, so it'll be uh, it'll be quite a shift for writers and editors and things like that. But that's the sort of thing that that readers don't really care about. More importantly, I think this is easily the biggest redesign the front end has ever had. Um, the articles, I mean, I, you know, well, we've all, uh, the three of us at least, have seen the mock-ups of the new article page and the new writer's page, and, you know, this is just the beginning, but it's already uh, amazingly beautiful. I'm really impressed with uh, with what I've seen so far. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we're going to see some really big changes in, in functionality. We're, we're, it's, it's as fundamental as the URLs of the stories yep. are changing, so that's a pretty big deal. And really, ultimately, I, I would characterize it anyway as all of these changes, the main changes, the focus is on our writers and mm-hmm. and, and on our readers, of course. We're trying to make it easier and better and, and more pleasurable experience for the readers, and we're trying to really give our 
Are poor, beleaguered, hard-working writers as much attention and credit as we possibly can? We we will be uh, featuring pictures of them, really encouraging everyone to upload some kind of picture of themselves and and have that sort of identification. It really does seem to make a difference when people yeah. have some sense of, of who you are and they can attach, you know, a face to uh, or or something to to the writing and it, it really makes it more of a personal thing and I think emphasizes the personality. Well, Lisa, since you are absolutely at the core of of this process of this half hour, we're going to we're going to leave it up to you each week to pick out who we're talking to and uh, you know what we're emphasizing and there's certainly never any lack of that, but why don't you um, let everyone know who we're talking to and why we're talking to her and what that's all about? Okie doke. Well, Barbara Barnett has been with Blog Critics since October of 2007, so it's about a year and a half now. Since then, she's written nearly 160 articles, and while she makes the occasional excursion into politics or books or, or one of the other sections of the site, the overwhelming majority of her work involves the uh, very popular TV show House MD. Her column, which is called Welcome to the End of the Thought Process, is really special because it includes a lot of in-depth analysis of sort of the overarching themes of the show and the ongoing character development and the story arcs and how they all sort of meld together. Uh, It's one of the most popular features on the site. And it's regularly linked to from Fox's uh, homepage, which is a real feather in her cap and, of course, by association, ours too. And in addition to her writing and her very busy personal and professional life, I'm really happy to say that Barbara recently joined BBC editorial staff. And we're very Mm -hmm. delighted to have her there and on the show tonight. So welcome, Barbara. Thank you. I'm blushing. <laughs> How have I really written that many articles? Oh, my gosh. What do I have yeah. on my day job? <laughs> well, one of the things I would ask you is when in the world do you find the time to write those pieces? Because uh, anybody who's read them knows that, I mean, these aren't just the kind of things that you toss off in, in a half an hour. These are really in-depth, very well thought out, and very well structured articles. Where do you find the time? Um, I wish I knew. They often, at least in the first draft, will write themselves. And they really do. Um, I just sort of, and I know it's a real cliche, but it does just come out through my fingertips as I think through the connections. Of course, I've watched every episode about 25 times. I'm almost embarrassed to say, so I have a, a good recall. <laughs> um, but they, they actually, I actually don't, I don't spend days and days and days writing. Occasionally I will some of the longer pieces, but I I write probably my best time is between 11 o'clock at night and 1 in the morning. (laughs) It's probably Uh my prime time, and then I edit when I'm not quite so tired. But, um, yeah, that's that's always the the big issue in in our house, too, is... uh, uh, my brain starts to shut down at around 8:30 at night. So, and that's usually when I'm online doing doing a lot of my work. What got you hooked on House to start with? I, I think it's a great show. We're fans here too. I know Philip watches it, and I don't know if uh, I don't know if Eric and Dawn are fans, but I think it's a great show. 
what, Thank you. what put you into it? It's it's odd. Um, I was raised on television. My mom was a television junkie, and so our, we spent most of our hours together watching TV. Um, and after we started having kids, who are now older, a little older, um, I stopped watching television. I think that, um, and I'm not a television watcher. I keep telling people I'm I'm not a big TV watcher. I watch Jon Stewart. I watch Colbert. I watch Keith Olbermann, um, and about once a decade, I really get hooked. And it, it usually has to do with something to do with the central character. There's something about the main character that just fascinates me. Um, there's a depth to the character. There are angles to the character that are unseen or hidden, um, character has to be smart and enigmatic at the same time and I about a quarter of the way through the first season of House I read an article in Entertainment Weekly that talked about the series and and said oh it's starring British actor Hugh Laurie well I'm an Anglophile and I love British actors pretty much down the line Um, so I thought huh intriguing okay I'm going to take a watch and happened to catch an episode. And, you know, after this being almost the end of the fifth season, the episode was the first season episode cursed. And in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not one of the best episodes, but it was enough to hook me. There was just something there. And um, I think I spent the next three weeks trying to find everyone I could find online who could upload the episodes that I had missed because <laughs> there, there were no episodes on iTunes or Amazon Unbox hadn't existed yet. So people would send me these files and it would take eight, nine, ten hours to upload these files, these enormous like 350 megabyte AVI files. And I just watched episode after episode and that was it for me. I was done. That I was, I was in love. So you just so that's totally why I immersed yourself. You, yeah. you sound like you watch TV a little bit like I do. I, there, I, I pay sort of surface attention to a lot of different things and usually find one show every couple of years that kind of really sucks me in. I know that you uh, – I know because I've, I've read you – I've read you mention it in your in your columns that you're, you're a former X-File as well. Yes. So – yeah, that yeah. got great taste in, in TV. <laughs> that actually got, that was my entree into the Internet. Um, I had my own X-Files reviews and fan fiction website, um, and that was my first foray into the Internet. And, yes, I was absolutely an X-File. It was my last television addiction, actually. Clearly um, you have in, impeccable taste in television shows, by which I mean you like the same shows I do. Of course. <laughs> Philip, I know you watch the show a lot, don't you? You're you're pretty stuck on House as well. I do. In fact, I uh, yesterday I had a bit of a problem in that I uh, was a little busy and didn't get a chance to watch it as it aired. And then I saw uh, Barbara's write-up or her review or, or commentary appear on Blog Critics, and I thought, oh, no, now I've got to stay off the Internet until I've watched the episode. So. I, uh, I corralled my wife and made her watch it with me so that I could go read Barbara's article. My week just isn't complete without it. 
I, I have to admit that when I first started watching the show, probably after about the third or fourth episode, I was on the verge of writing it off as being too procedural. Um, mm-hmm. You know, kind of like, okay, here's the deal. You know, patient comes in with weird symptoms. You know, doctors do weird things to figure it out. Patient nearly dies five or six times. Doctor solves mystery. I mean, it right. just seemed very formulaic at first, and it took me a bit of watching to sort of get past that and really kind of get into, as you were talking about, how character-driven the show really is. And and I think that characters are certainly, for me also, the real hook into getting involved in a TV show. Mm-hmm. So I think that's uh, – and your, your, your story, your articles – I hesitate to even call them reviews because they're really more analytic pieces than than reviews. Um, you really you really get into the the growth and development of the characters. Have there been any instances over the past few seasons where you've been like totally caught off guard um, in the way something was headed, or do you think you have it pretty well scoped out? about that. Um, I think, uh, it, you know, at, at the beginning, in the first season, there, of course, everything was a surprise, and um, David Shore didn't even know midway through the season if he was going to have a full, a full 22, it was 22 episodes, full 22 episode order for the first year. So there were a little, there were a few little jigs and jags, but I think I kind of kept the rhythm of it, um, I think that um, I think for the most part the characters have been pretty true to themselves. So I haven't seen any things that I've said, "Wow, that that doesn't make any sense." Um, and I know there are a lot of fans out there that that have seen that. You know, said, "Oh, that doesn't make any sense. That that just just wouldn't happen." But I think that. There have, while there have been surprises for the characters, which there obviously should be, I don't think that they've made any left turns when they should have made right turns. Yeah, yeah. Now, you've also had the experience of doing several behind-the-scenes interviews with people involved in the creative side of the show. What's what's that been like? And tell us a, a little bit about who you've talked to. Well, I've talked to everyone from Katie Jacobs, who I talked with in January. Um, we had a great, um, what was supposed to be a 10 or 15 minute conversation that turned into a half an hour, which is always fun. Um, and she was just delightful to talk to. We talked about everything. One of the things that I want to, when I interview someone behind the scenes, and I've done several of these now over the last year, is I don't want to ask the same questions that Osiello asks or um, Matt Rausch asks in the, in the mainstream media, I want to ask questions that no one else is asking. Um, otherwise, why do the interview? Um, so we talked about everything from uh, the heart and soul of, of House himself to the music. And Katie is very involved in selecting the music. And I'm a musician in my day job. Um, and uh, so that was that was fun for both of us to talk with. So, so it's a little unnerving to be talking to the executive producer of one of the biggest shows on TV, but 
you know, once you're into the interview, it's it's just talking to another person. But I've talked to her. I've talked to uh, re- very recently uh, Jennifer Morrison, who plays Cameron on the show, um, who is actually from my area. Her parents live just a couple miles from here um, in the Chicago suburbs. Um, and she also just wonderful to talk with. Um, we talked about her character, um, she wouldn't tell me about what was going on in the next several episodes, only to stay tuned because it's going to get really exciting. Um, and I've talked to a number of the writers, uh, Garrett Lerner and Russell Friend, who wrote this week's episode, along with David Foster, who I've also spoken with and interviewed, along with Doris Egan, who is a, a fan favorite of the writers. Um, I've talked to uh, Eli Ati, uh, who also has written for West Wing. Um, so I, I've talked to many of the writers, um, and I'm and I'm going to tell you that I'm working on another article right now, and I can't tell you who it is that I'm going to be talking with, but uh, it's not one of the cast. So, but um, I will be talking, doing another behind the scenes article upcoming in the next couple weeks. You know that we're all waiting with bated breath for the Hugh Laurie article, don't you? <laughs> I, I, I've heard a rumor. Um, I would love to interview him. I think my husband teases me. He's the most indulgent person in the world, my husband, who um, reserves the right to tease me for my obsession, but just thinks this is all very cool. Um, well, and you but, know, yeah. obviously being very supportive of your uh, – your second career as uh, as our, in our in-house house expert. Um, but he, he keeps telling me, you know, if you interview Hugh Laurie, you're going to melt into a puddle of butter. Um, I shouldn't say that because I'm just a, a hardened professional. But um, I would love to interview him, and I'm going to – they're going on hiatus in a couple of weeks, but I that's something that I'm going to work on um, hopefully – or before the uh, season premiere next year, um, and hopefully we'll be able to work that out. But um, he's a tough interview to get because he's so busy and he's so inundated, and um, it, it'll be it'll be a spectacularly wonderful interview to do. But I want to time it right. Yeah, definitely. I, I can sort of understand too that since he is in such high demand. At some point, he probably wants to just, you know, go home and be whatever he is in his private life and not think about the show and the interviews and the work 24-7. Right. Right. Um, And I want to respect that. So, yeah, definitely. I have a question for Barbara. Hi, Barbara. Hi. It's Eric Olson. How are you? I know. Oh, I'm fine. Fine. How are you? We've never talked, have we? I don't think so. We just communicate by typing and and telepathy of course and of course i have a question for when you interview hugh which we all know is coming and hey i've suggested it more than once i know uh, you have you a few times it, it will happen it will happen and i've also i've also said the words they're just people so it was very gratifying to hear you say that it means you've internalized it i have i have oh and one other interview i did was with uh, lisa edelstein recently too who is also uh, uh, just a really lovely person. Yeah. I mean, they're all, you know, they're all they're all just people. But here's a question for you. Do you dream in ever in your house character? 
Do I dream in my house character? No, does he? No. Ask him. When you talk to him, does he have dreams in his house character? Or any other character for that matter. Oh, oh, a, character, a, a question for him. Okay, that's a, that's a fantastic question. Perhaps I was unclear. But it's clear I'm now. I'm kind of losing my voice. I've been talking a lot today, including yelling at people. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> um, talking as a singer. Um, yes. <laughs> it's so not what is your day job? I, wanna, I, I don't know what that is. My day job is I'm something called a cantor. Um, which is Are you a really? Singer, yeah. Yeah, a cantor educator. Um, and oh, it's not my formal title, but that is what I do. And um, so I sing and I teach and I write and uh, have a good time. Wow. So I'm, well, that's I'm neat. Singer. We have a really good friend. Um, there's the three Dons. My wife, two of her, two of her best friends are also Dons. <laughs> she's never known another Don in her life, and now all of a sudden uh, she's met these two women. They're all about the same age. and <laughs> They all hang out at the pool in the summer. The, the Dawn Cubed. Anyway, she is a, uh, a Catholic cantor, for lack of a better word. But I mean, that's no, what she no. Does. That is a that, that is a real title. A Catholic. Oh, okay. I mean, they chant the liturgy in the Catholic uh, Catholic services, Catholic mass, Catholic services. Yeah, she was a, a trained, you know, formally trained uh, opera singer. That was, you know, that was her her major in school, and but. The, this that's what she's doing now, and she said she really loves it. It's a, it's a good thing and a very fulfilling kind of a job, and leaves me a little bit flexible to do to write my other stuff. So yeah, well, it's it's spiritual and and it's expressive. That's a pretty great combination. It is. It is. Is it fairly recent, Barbara, that women have been allowed to do that? It's a traditionally male role, and in the more traditional streams of Judaism, um, it's still fairly rare. Um, in the denomination that I work in and that I've received, and, and I've got, I confess I have one more exam to take this summer before I'm fully certified or ordained or whatever the term is, um, that in the conservative movement, it's been mm, not so many years, and 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 it's it's still fairly rare in the conservative movement to find uh, a cantor on the pulpit, as it were, um, leading services as their full-time position in our movement. Not so much in the reform movement. There are many, many women cantors, um, but in the more traditional movements, not at all. So it's it varies. Interesting. And you're in the Chicago area? I am, up in the North Shore of Chicago. Well, that's certainly a nice area. It is. Is it, it still is. cold there? Um, it's 50. So I guess it depends. It's it's all relative compared yeah. to Fairbanks. It's warm, <laughs> but compared to LA, it's a little chilly. But it's, it's actually it's a nice day. It's brightly sunny, and the snow that we had Sunday is melted. And... Yeah, that's exactly like us. I'm in the Cleveland area. So it sounds like we got about, you know, what you got a little bit after. Yeah. It's a little warmer here today. I think we got up a little above 60 here today, but nice and sunny. And yeah, that that snow, man, that that was really depressing. But it it it, it went away quickly. Yeah. 
Yes, it did. So what? What's the? Uh, I I know you have a project that has been um, under wraps. Are you allowed to talk about that yet? It's a, a sort of a larger scale, um, sim- similar theme, larger scale than Blog Critic. Yeah. Um, I'd rather not talk about it right now because things are at sort of a fairly delicate stage. So. Yeah. Um. So hopefully within the next few weeks I can talk more about that. So. Well, that will certainly be exciting. We would love to have you come on and make that announcement because that's that's really a big deal. And and in your case, um, you know, I mean, we've had people who've who've been writers, uh, you know, for the site and who have, you know, wonderful things have happened. It's not always exactly clear, you know, if it was really due to involvement with blog critics or if that was just kind of a, a corollary or, you know, a parallel thing. But in your case, what's what's so wonderful for, for us and, and hopefully for you, too, is, you know, I mean, you came in, you started from scratch, you, you know, you, you, stated, you stated that you had, I remember first hearing from you, that, you know, you had an interest, you were, you were concerned about stepping on anyone else's toes. There was an opening uh, where, you know, the person who had been, covering it very regularly, um, you know, decided to take a break. And, and we really did have a need because um, th- we ha- we had developed a, a, a readership who were interested, very interested, intensely interested in the show. And, and you not only stepped into that role, but you expanded it greatly. And, and you know, it's just... Uh, you you are absolutely the quintessential you know author that we hold up as someone who who comes in and it doesn't just happen by itself you've worked really hard and and you've you know you've applied yourself but for those who work really hard and apply themselves oh we shouldn't leave out that you you know perhaps have a few skills here and there uh, have some talent, uh, it, but you know uh, the application of of hard work and applying yourself, and you know keeping your eyes open and looking around and and finding the openings has led to you know really t- tremendous things. Even beyond what we may or may not be talking about in a few weeks, the simple fact that you are regularly featured, you know, uh, right there on the Fox website, uh, you know. That's that's an amazing thing, and you've been a tremendous asset to us, and and I hope and I and I I believe that that it's been a mutually beneficial thing. Oh, it's it's been absolutely. Um, in my wildest dreams, when I started doing this, I never thought that I would number one garner any kind of a readership at all, um, and number two make the kind of contacts that I've been able to make. Um, I have a, a really good working relationship with Fox. Uh, I don't work for them. Some people are. I've, I've read on some of the fan forums, and um, my columns are regularly discussed on um, on uh, the Fox official forum, which is kind of cool. Um, sometimes I like to see what their what their feedback is. Um, but people say, oh, she works for the show. She says she gets, she gets all these interviews, and it's like, no, I don't work for the show um, at all. But I have a good relationship with them. Um, the, their PR director is wonderful in setting things up and and uh, getting information out, and um, it has really been um, great in helping me to develop my resources, um, get the interviews, but it, it's been 
you know, if you don't ask the question, you're not going to get the interview. And um, I've learned that. And, uh, um, you know, I try to write a little bit every day. This has been a kind of a crazy couple of weeks because um, my daughter is getting married and her, her in-laws, her future in-laws were here for the first time. And so I haven't written a lot, but, but uh, I'm back on track. I try to write every day and, and really nurture uh, the column. But more than write, one of the things that I, I think that, um, that my readers, I hope, appreciate, and I know they do because they've said it, is that I don't leave it at the end of the article. I really try to participate in the discussion. Well, we have reached the 7 o'clock barrier, and uh, that's fine. We can. It, it's not like the show drops dead. It, it's no longer live, uh, but the archives keep recording, so no problem there. But uh, I imagine we should uh, wrap things up. Uh, as I was saying, I mean, I don't want to uh, put too fine a point on it, but, man, you know, w- w- what if we had a couple hundred Barbara Barnett's that we would be – we would be an outstanding site indeed. So, I mean, we, we thank you for, for taking the ball and and running with it uh, with with the skill and dedication that you have. And, and it's it really is gratifying uh, to see where you've been able to get as, as a result because, you know, we, we really do always want the relationship to be complimentary and symbiotic, you know, uh, and and um, I'm always really happy to hear when people feel that it is. Oh, it is, and I hugely appreciate the opportunity that that you guys have given me uh, with this. It's it's been a lot of fun. Um, I used to write for a living um, back in the days before computers, and it is just beyond fun and wonderful to be able to really get back to um, to really regularly writing and, and doing something I love and, and doing it on Blog Critics is, is a lot of fun. Well, we're certainly glad you were our, our first guest in, in, the, in the return to BC part of the show because I think you're a, uh, you're a quintessential success story, and we Thank really you. do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Any other thoughts, Lisa and Philip? Well, I, I do still have a question about the final uh, about 15 seconds of this week's house episode, but yeah. I guess I'll go ahead and save it for the comments on your latest article. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, 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 a lot of people are asking that. Sorry. Yeah, that seems in the elevator. I'm just I'm just not sure how to read it. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. I just want to echo everything uh, Eric said and and thank you, Barbara, for. Uh, Helping us inaugurate this uh, this new format, as Eric said, you were a really great person to start with, and thank I'm you. so glad you're editing. Oh, thank you. It's fun. It's challenging sometimes, but it's it's fun. Oh yeah, it's a whole other set of skills. It is, and and I, you know, I I used to do that after I I, I did that for a living as well, and. Believe me, this is nothing like editing engineers, which is what I was doing before. So it's not so bad. Really, you you haven't had to edit one of my articles yet? Um, no, not yet. <laughs> uh, cl- clearly, I need to write something and 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 reserve it for you. <laughs> okay, and then write it in engineering style. That that would exactly. be exactly. That would be truly deja vu. <laughs> 
All right. Well, I guess we've gone three minutes over, so uh, the the live listeners are left uh, holding their hats and uh, uh-huh. peer, peering off forlornly into space. And uh, I, I swore to the kids that uh, that I would get home as quickly after seven as possible. They were they were pretty excited about me not leaving again for the nine o'clock show. So I this, this is going to work out. But I'm also reali- realizing I got to start thinking about it, you know, earlier in the day than I did today. It sort of suddenly came upon me because we're in the midst of just all this stuff and talking about the redesign and everything. There's lots of important things going on. So anyway, thanks very much to Barbara. Really appreciate your coming on and, and all the great work and looking forward to hearing what happens next. And we would be delighted to have you make that announcement on the show if and when the time comes. I would be delighted to do that. That would be truly wonderful. And uh, thanks, as always, of course, to Philip and Lisa. And unless anyone has anything to add, we will see you guys next week. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay. Farewell. Good night.